Hello and welcome to the Viva Albertos podcast. This is Ben Humphrey, the site manager at VivaAlbertos.com, and I am joined today by Aaron Schaefer. Uh, folks may know him by his pen name, the Red Baron, uh, one of our editors at Viva Albertos. And uh, we're here on December 21st uh, in the morning, actually. This is an early podcast recording, and I slept through the initial start time. Uh, but we're here in the morning of December 21st, 2014, and this being the off-season, Aaron, uh, I always make a point of saying that because you never know what the Cardinals might do between the time uh, we're done recording and uh, when we get this put online for folks to listen to. How are you doing? Oh, I'm all right. Uh, you know, considering that it is after Thanksgiving, I, I can't imagine there are going to be a whole lot more moves from the Cardinals. If this were November 15th, then yeah, I, I think it would be a big deal that you uh, let everybody know exactly when we are, but yeah, they're pretty much done by now. Yeah, they're just doing things like uh, issuing press releases with the, the minor league players of the year, and uh, I think some folks... Uh, kind of raised an eyebrow uh, at the minor league position player of the year and the minor league pitcher of the year. Uh, Marco Gonzalez, uh, I think, was kind of expected. But Magnaris Sierra, uh, a young Dominican player, was named the minor league player of the year. Uh, and it's important to recognize that this is something the Cardinals do internally. Um, they name players who are players of the year. This isn't an independent uh, period. Uh, you know, an independent periodical. This isn't Derek Gould saying, you know, this is the best player in the Cardinals system. Uh, this is an internal award that uh, the front office gives to players. Um, so you need to kind of, I think, look at it through that prism. Now, that being said and recognized, uh, what do you think of, of the announcement, Aaron? Um, I, you know, I, I thought it was, uh, like you said, it's, it's important to kind of notice that it's not a third-party publication. It is an internal metric um, because I think it's not just who had the best season, but also, well, it's a combination. I, you know, you listen to uh, the Baseball America guys, and they always talk about their minor league players of the year. It's always going to be a prospect, basically. You know, um, I, I know last year they didn't give it to, uh, I think it was Chris Colavello and they gave it to somebody else because Colavello was, you know, 28 years old and not really considered to be a prospect. Um, in this case, you know, the Cardinals, they don't only want to reward whoever had the best season, but also kind of put the name out there as this is a guy we're looking at for the future. Um, so, you know, I, I was, uh, I mean, obviously we all know the numbers for the young man, um, whatever however you pronounce that name it's you know I, I think you did a nice job i'm not going to try it myself <laughs> but, uh, you know i i think we all knew he was putting up big numbers but this is sort of i think it's the cardinals way like you said of, of really highlighting this player and saying hey this is a guy we think is a part of our future um so i i found it really uh, really intriguing yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Gould uh, just a few moments ago, but he, uh, I believe it was a tweet, and he may have written an article in the season, and I haven't Googled it, and I should have since we were going to talk about them, but I haven't. Um, and he, that was the first time I saw Sierra's name, uh, you know, other than just like looking at uh, a rookie league team's stats, you know, um, and uh, was this year. 
and Gould relayed that the Cardinals, you know, were very impressed with the season he was having or something along those lines. Um, and for folks who haven't seen the stats, in 2014, Sierra hit a 386 with a 434 on base percentage and a 505 slugging percentage. Um, you know, very, very high batting average. And, you know, it's understandably uh, drawing some comparison, and that was down in the Florida uh, Gulf Coast League. Um, the year before, he was in the Dominican Summer League, and he did not post uh, numbers quite that high. Uh, in fact, nowhere near that high. He hit um, he hit 269 with a 361 on base percentage and a 340 slugging percentage. And, you know, those are very good numbers. Uh, when Eric and I were talking about prospects uh, earlier in the offseason, Aaron, though, we, we mentioned with all of these short-season leagues, you always have to have... Uh, you know, a grain of salt in mind, uh, because this is only, you know, he had 252 plate appearances uh, in the in the Dominican League, and he had uh, 223 plate appearances in the Gulf Coast League. So, you know, if you add those together, even then, you probably don't quite get a full season's worth of plate appearances. Yeah, I mean, it, it's what, two-thirds of a season? Yeah. Uh, or three quarters, maybe. I mean, something like that. You're still looking at a, a percentage of a season. Uh, you're looking at very inscrutable uh, competition levels. You're looking at uh, you know players who are so far away on the developmental curve that there can be wildly different levels of skill involved. So you know, yeah. I mean, the, the numbers scouting the line, as as they say simply doesn't work at really low levels like that. Um, I mean, that being said, there are certain things you can look for. Uh, you know, he did, even in 2013, you look, and as you said, the numbers weren't as good, but he did walk nearly as often as he struck out. The strikeout rate was not particularly high, so you can kind of infer that a, probably makes, you know, probably has pretty good bat control. Uh, is willing to let the pitch go by if it's not what he wants. You know, you, you can kind of, you can look and try and tease out a few things, but it is, you know, really touch and go. Right. And, you know, the the other thing in the stat line, if we can scout it, is the stolen bases. He had 15, 15 stolen bases in 63 games in the Dominican League in 2013, and he had 13 stolen bases in the Gulf Coast League in 52 games. Uh, last year and so he he's got some speed it would seem as well uh yeah it looks that way let's see i'm pulling up fan graphs or i i had it i'm scrolling down uh caught stealing he was caught seven times in 13 just three times this year though so maybe uh turning that speed into a bit more consistent production also you know you would hope uh and like you said this is all we're just looking at numbers and pulling stuff out of our asses. But, hey, you know, uh, it's an exciting player to, to look at and think about. Yeah, it, and he's also young. Um, <sighs> really young, yeah. Extremely young. And so you have uh, – you he, he's 18 years old. Um, so he's – you know, he's got – I mean, there's just a lot of projection – you know, like to even think about him down the road joining the Cardinals. I mean, it's several years off. Um, and so that was kind of the thing with Tavares. It just felt like he was 
you know, he was on the horizon for so long, you know, and then finally you got him up close this year. And uh, Tavares was very young uh, when he was put up his sort of, he announced his presence, so to speak, as a top prospect uh, in the Midwest League. Um, and Sierra has not even made the Midwest League yet. And I don't know if he will next year. Uh, it's possible if he if he hits uh, at a high rate, he could make the Midwest League next year. And the Cardinals have been pretty aggressive uh, with promoting players in the past. But, I mean, this kid is a ways off. Well, and, and like you said, they have been aggressive. But also, specifically, I think in this case, I'll bet we see them push him a bit. I think that's the other part of... Uh, what you were saying about, you know, that we need to pay attention to this announcement that they chose this kid who's not even 19 years old yet. As of right now, you know, the, the season or, I mean, the off season after his breakout, he's still not 19 years old. They named him player of the year for the whole system. I think you can tease out from that a little bit that they're probably going to be aggressive because I think they're right. I think just kind of reading the tea leaves, I would bet they try to push him and see how far they can push him before he hits that, before he hits the, uh, maybe not hits the wall, but before the the difficulty spike really kind of catches up with him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you don't name a player minor league player of the year if you don't have, uh, if you don't think highly of him. Um, if you don't have plans for him yes. or if you don't think he can handle the jump. Uh, I, I think that's a lot to put on a kid. If you look, if you're looking at a guy and you say, "Well, he's got a lot of physical tools, but I just don't know how he's going to hold up. I don't know how he's going to handle it. I, he's immature. He seems to have this problem or this." If you don't think he's pretty, uh, like, not close to a finished product necessarily, but if you don't believe he has some high level tools and skills that you can uh, that you can try to draw out of him quickly. I don't think you put this added pressure on him. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that put him in the Gulf Coast Lake. Uh, those kids are usually 19, 20 years old, typically, I think. Uh, that's true. Yeah, you do. You get to, well, I mean, that's where like, uh, like Luke Weaver went after he was drafted for at least a little bit of time. I don't remember if he pitched anywhere else or not but you know you get a lot of guys straight out of the draft straight out of college different things like that let's pull up weaver and see where he went i think he went to gulf coast also um yeah it looks like he did initially and then he pitched one or two games in uh high a actually oh that's right they sent him down to florida and he kind of pitched near like his home and everything toward the end of the season i remember that now yeah so he's already I mean, he's already, you know, been in the Gulf Coast Lake. So uh, they clearly do think highly of him. And I think um, it will be interesting to see how quickly they promote him, where he starts out uh, the season uh, next year. Um, and he's certainly going to be on people's radars now. Um, uh, the other player, Marco Gonzalez, we all we all know we've all seen him pitch uh, in the majors. I was actually there uh, for his major league debut in Denver uh, with my brother. I was visiting my brother and I went to that game and that was a lot of fun. Uh, there was a large section of the Coors Field crowd that day uh, because Gonzalez is from 
the Denver area, uh, who were there, uh, family and friends, uh, to support him. Uh, and I watched him strike out Troy Tulowitzki with that changeup we've, we've all now seen. Uh, and at the time, you know, I had only heard so much about it. So that was a very uh, cool thing to see. Uh, he made his big league debut last year. He threw 34 and two-thirds innings. Um, but, you know, last season he pitched uh, across three levels of the minor leagues. He started in high A, uh, threw 37 and two-thirds innings, uh, went to Springfield, and in double A threw 38 and two-thirds innings, and then made it to Memphis. And he threw about uh, almost just under 46 innings uh, for the Redbirds, and then he threw just under 35 for the Cardinals. So he he was across four levels of the organization, including the majors last year. And uh, the worst he pitched uh, was in the majors. He, he pitched very well in the minors, and that, you know, I'm not at all surprised to see uh, someone with his pedigree uh, and skill and the results he turned in uh, win the award. He's he's a good pitcher, and I'm I'm pretty excited about his future. Uh, wh- what do you see for him? You know, he's going to have this spring training competition, and you know, with the way Mosellock is already talking, it sounds like it's a competition only to keep two pitchers on a starting schedule in case there's an injury. At least that's the way that I'm interpreting it. Mosellock has not said, you know, that's why we're doing this, but they're openly talking about Carlos Martinez as a starter. And um, it seems as if Gonzalez will probably start this year in the big league bullpen, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, that that makes the most sense. Um, you know, I mean, this this year is probably Carlos's opportunity. Next year, if everything goes right, will be Gonzalez because you'll probably have Lackey leaving, um, you know, depending upon how things work out or shake out in the bullpen. And, I mean, pardon me, in the rotation, there may be other movement during the season or whatever, but most likely coming out of spring training 2016, I think the Cardinals would probably like to see Gonzalez sliding into the uh, back end of the bullpen following – Carlos, who established himself as a starter in 2015, you know that's I would imagine that's probably the optimal plan in their minds. Um, as far as what I see for him in the future, uh, he's Mark Burley. That's I mean that's who he is. He's basically Mark Burley. Uh, will he ever be as good as Burley? Uh, that's debatable because Burley's been really really good for a really long time. But in terms of uh, you know, the stuff. Now, I, I don't think Gonzalez is actually quite as big as Burley. If I remember correctly, Mark Burley is weirdly large. He's like 6'4 <laughs> or something when he doesn't seem like he should be. I'm thinking he's one of those guys who is oddly bigger than you expect. But uh, in terms of the uh, the repertoire, the approach, the kind of the delivery even reminds me a little bit that, you know, very low stress, simple delivery. Um, I, I see a very similar kind of pitcher, very much in that vein of this other guy who's been doing it for a, a really long time at a very high level. Yeah, Burley's six two, two hundred and forty pounds. Okay, six two. I was uh, yeah, he's not super tall, so he's still a, a couple inches taller than Gonzalez, but a lot bigger build. Um, although Burley's also got what you know, fifteen years worth of bulk on uh, Marco at this point. You know, I mean. So, yeah, Burley is Burley. 
Um, yes, he is. There you go. Uh, I wish I made that joke. I feel, <laughs> I feel bad about myself now. I, I'm quite proud of myself. So uh, you should be. I. I uh, that's you know. That's why you make the big bucks. <laughs> so, you can, uh, so you can make jokes like that. That's why you're site manager. Yes. That's why I'm just you know once a week drop in and write a piece guy. You're site manager. You're Mr. Manager. Why? Because you made that joke right there. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Uh, as <laughs> soon as you... That was your application. Yes. You they... see, I, just, I wrote out a thing. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to manage this community because I think I'd be good at it. You made that joke, and the guy's like, hey, ah, sorry, Aaron. We've got a guy. <laughs> it, it, yes, that's that's exactly right. They they call you, They call you up on the phone. And they pepper you with player names, and you have to think of, of jokes about them, and, and preferably... Like, right, you've got 30 seconds. Sell us. <laughs> and like, it's... Uh, Mark Burley, he's really burly, he's kind of a fat guy. You're like, yes, nailed it! <laughs> and then, and then the, I didn't even get to be like, what's the deal with airline peanuts? Um, I made the burly joke, and that was all that they needed. Um, I'd hire you. Uh so the Cardinals, the the minor league players of the year. I mean, everyone's going to be watching Marco Gonzalez next year. Um, but Sierra gives us uh, a player to keep on our radar as we move forward uh, in 2015 and beyond, um, because he's gonna he's got a few uh, rungs to climb on the organizational ladder before we even think about seeing him uh, as a potential St. Louis Cardinal. Um, so that's always fun, and it's it's something. Uh, that they usually do around this time of the year. And uh, with the way John Mosellock, as you said, has carried out uh, his off-season plans in the past, um, this has usually been after they've basically done everything, right? <laughs> like it, I feel like he, he does this early every year, and then it's just like, oh, minor league player of the year, and then we just watch. Uh, maybe there's a non-roster invite uh, to be done. Uh a team in the division who has also been busy this offseason, other than the Cubs, who Craig and I touched on uh, last season, uh, a team that has been busy not adding players but unloading them has been the Cincinnati Reds, Aaron. All right. Um, before we do that, give me a Magnaris Sierra name joke. A Magnaris Sierra. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess it would be uh, we would have to do something Humphrey Bogart like uh, what is it Treasure of the Sierra Madre? Could we do something? He he is the treasure of the Sierra Madre for the Cardinals. Uh, I don't know. That was horrible. Oh Lord. Um, ooh, okay. Now uh, I'm now I'm fired. My my cell phone's yes, ringing. You 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 may have lost <laughs> position. Okay. Yeah. Um. Moving on to the Reds. Let's talk about Cincinnati. Uh, Walt Jockety, man, uh, you know, former Cardinals GM, uh, and we had a, there was a discussion uh, amongst community members in the comments, sort of talking about Jason Hayward and how they wanted to wait and see if he signed an extension or a club-friendly deal uh, before judging the offseason, and it was, and they brought up Jim Edmonds and Scott Rowland and how Jockety had acquired them and signed them to team-friendly extensions, and, you know, I, I feel like you don't see those types of moves as often anymore. And maybe the current Cincinnati Reds are evidence uh, in addition to the 2007 Cardinals, perhaps that maybe Walt Jockety's uh, manner of putting a team together uh, just doesn't work all that well anymore. Well, you know, anytime 
this uh, anytime this comes up and everybody sort of points to those deals that he made, I think it's always important to stop for a moment and consider how different the context of uh, of the game is right now. Um, you know, all these smaller market teams, not even just smaller market teams, but just teams in general. There's so much more money flowing around, and it's uh, and and the the revenue streams have been balanced. I mean, they're obviously still not balanced. Look at the size of local TV deals and things, but they've been balanced in such a way that there is a bit more parity in payroll. Uh, we see teams like the Pirates, who never would have been able to hold on to, say, an Aramis Ramirez years and years ago before they dealt him to the Cubs. They've got Andrew McCutcheon locked up long term. Uh, so many of Jockety's deals felt like partially he was seeking out players who didn't seem to get along great with the organization they were with. Uh, Edmonds, I know, you know, Angels management wasn't super fond of his attitude, which seems weird because he'd seemed like sort of that stereotypical California guy, but they just didn't like him for some reason. Uh, Roland, we know about the prickliness of his personality had trouble with Larry Boa, all these other things. Had trouble with everybody eventually yeah. at one point or another. You know, I mean, the guy, uh, I, he just seems like kind of a jackass at some point in time. Super good player. Loved having him. But you know what? Eventually, he's going to piss you off. Um, or you're going to or you're gonna piss him off, right? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, one way or the other, it's the relationship is going to end badly, most likely. Um but, you know, Jockety seemed to specialize in finding those guys. But he was also really good at finding players whose teams were simply not going to be able to afford him. The uh, the McGuire deal, when he shipped, you know, uh, Ryan Ludwig's older brother, is the only player I remember from that deal, Eric Ludwig, shipped him off in exchange for McGuire from Oakland. And, and some of these kinds of deals, um, he was really good at that stuff. Those deals, I'm not sure, are even out there. It's not just that teams have gotten smarter. I think the realities of the way the way teams are holding on to their own players, locking up their players, the situation just isn't the same anymore for Jockety or anybody else to make the specific types of deals that he was uh, really well known for. Um, as for the other half of that, Talking about you know Jockety's uh, you know his methodology maybe not working so well um, I, you know I, I think you could throw out the old uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald quote about there not being second acts in American lives uh, I, I think that line has largely been debunked as that's not quite what he meant but I think you could probably paraphrase and say there are very rarely second acts in Walt Jockety tenures with teams. Um, he seems to excel at building a franchise or building a team initially. And then as time goes on, uh, you know, his, uh, his way of acquiring talent, of shipping off pieces, young pieces for established veterans, and then locking some of them up to contracts and, and, I don't know. His method of building a team seems to have a shelf life. Um, 
And what's really interesting about the Reds right now is it's almost like we're watching him try to construct that second uh, that second act for the Reds. You know, they've got this team, this roster that's getting a lot older. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, Brandon Phillips is a shadow of his former self. Uh, Joey Votto can't seem to stay on the field. Uh, you know, Johnny Cueto coming up on contract. Matt Latos was coming up on a contract. Mike Leak is coming up on a contract. All these guys. Um, Jay Bruce has mysteriously gone old Colby Rasmus on us and, you know, just isn't the guy we thought he was going to be. Jockety's going to have to try and find some way to transition out of this roster that largely was already constructed before he got there and then he just sort of supplemented but it's it's aging, it's getting worse, and he's going to have to try and figure out a way to transition out of this and get younger for the future. And I don't know if we've ever seen Jockety do that before. Well, yeah, and he's he's trying to do that. Um, but it's one of the weird things about this is just sort of seeing, you know, they kind of had that window and he uh, went out and got Shinsu Chu, who I felt like that was like a perhaps the most classic jockety move of his tenure. But, you know, you're seeing he was a player who was under contract for one more year. And it's nowadays those types of players are, you know, there was an article on baseball prospectus and Jason Hayward is also this type of player, but they call him five plus uh, players. And that's in reference to service time. And basically, you know, the, uh, the question was, how do you value that negotiation window where you can perhaps lock this person in? And I believe it was Theo Epstein or um, uh, perhaps the White Sox general manager. I can't remember who made this quote in particular, but it's like, yeah, I mean, that's really not much of a consideration because most of these players, maybe it was Jed Hoyer, actually, who was also quoted in the article. But at any rate, um, you know, once these players get so close to free agency they really aren't too terribly interested in signing an extension and and that touches right on what you said as you're seeing these andrew mccutcheon and even you know matt carpenter uh type of contracts where they're buying out years in a years in advance you know they're buying out arbitration years and free agent years these extensions aren't really happening nowadays you know after a player's gone through two rounds of salary arbitration. Um, and, you know, that was the Chu trade. And then he left for the Rangers, which actually was probably a good thing uh, with how poorly he had, he played last year. Um, you know, that contract is uh, looking kind of sketchy at this point in time. Um, like everything else the Rangers do lately. Yeah, you're right. They've really, uh, they've really, took a downturn uh and how they're doing things shitting the bed (laughs) yeah you're right it's it's Um, real bad it's dark in texas yes it's it's very dark and now you've got uh if you're the reds you have you know you're just kind of like counting down the years now until like brandon phillips until after 2017 when brandon phillips is no longer under contract and you know you're looking at like that homer bailey deal and when they signed that, I was kind of thinking, well, what about Johnny Cueto? And now it really is, what about Johnny Cueto? You know, he's only under contract for 2015, and I haven't seen uh, any 
indication that that they've been in any sort of extension negotiations with him. Um, but it's it, it blows my mind, Aaron, that you know in 2018, which um, is the uh, the first year after the Phillips contract in 2018, the Reds are going to pay Joey Votto $25 million and Homer Bailey $21 million. That's Homer Bailey is going to make more money than Adam Wainwright. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a weird sort of, I guess, use of their resources. And I, I don't follow their farm system as much, but I haven't heard a lot about a lot of players who are going to be able to come up and provide some cheap quality production uh, in the years to come. And I just, I don't know, you know, you mentioned they're trying to get younger, and I think that's what you're seeing with with the trades. Um, But even those players, I mean, I wasn't overwhelmed with what they got in return in those deals. Were you? No. um, I like uh, one of the kids they got... In exchange for Latos, the pitcher, uh, Dela. Oh shoot, I can't. I'm sorry. I I know, I know what his name is, but I can't remember it. It's it's D E L A something. I think. Um, I like him. He kind of reminds me of. Uh, oh, this is just a trick you're using to get me to try to pronounce his name. Uh, no, 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 no. It's, I, I literally cannot remember it. Uh, hey, you, you got Magnurus out real well. You know, uh, you're, yeah. you're a Norse god of fire, Magnurus, or whatever. You, you did real well with that one, so. Uh, Anthony De, De Sclafani. Is... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's De Sclafani or something. Um, I like him. He reminds me a little bit of a, um, there's a little bit of a Jake Arietta thing going on with him. Uh, he throws hard. I think the the fastball has a lot of movement. It's really a re- a really lively pitch. It's the kind of pitch you could picture watching him throw and and hitters just not be able to do much of anything on a good day. You know what I mean? He has that kind of um, that kind of feel about him. Um, he's got a nice slider cutter thing that's pretty good. Also, uh, again, kind of an Arietta player. I like him. Uh, the rest of the guys in the deal. Uh, or in either one of those deals, either for Leto, Latos or uh, Alfredo. Is it Simon or Simone? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. I, okay. always I, I always thought it was Alfredo Simon. Carson Sestouli always says Simone. I think he might just be, you know, secretly Canadian or something, and we don't know <laughs> it. But, uh, you know, awesome record label too, by the way. Secretly Canadian, good records. Um but yeah, the the uh, Alfredo Simon deal and Matt Latos of the four players they got back, I I do like, uh, um, I, I like the one. Other than that, it it's a pretty uninspiring group. Um, as far as whatever the Reds have coming, uh, I think it's is it Robert Stevenson? Is that their top prospect? Yes, hard throwing pitcher, really really impressive in terms of the actual stuff. I don't remember what the results are like. I'm speaking slowly now so I can type into fan graphs without it seeming super obvious. Okay, here we go. He, uh, ooh, he walks a lot of guys. Hmm. Okay, good strikeout rate. Yeah, Stevenson has serious control issues, it looks like. Um, I've only seen him throw once or twice just on video. Uh, you know, live arm throws really, really hard, but... 
apparently he's a ways off still. So, you know, beyond him, I, I really don't know a whole lot about the red system. Um, they did select the player I wanted most in 2013 in the draft, uh, Phil Irvin, uh, who was a center fielder, left field type in the sort of rock reigns mode. Uh, hit real well last year, did not hit well this year at all. And I, I don't know what changed for him. Um, had a really disappointing season. Uh, so, you know, yeah, that, it's not a great farm system. And if they're going to pull themselves out of this hole, it might have to be. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know if they can pull themselves out of this hole, honestly, because I don't think they're going to be able to afford to keep Cueto. I think he's going to have another really good season this year. Uh, this coming year, I mean, um, I think he's going to be a little too expensive. I doubt they're, well, you know, they might be able to move him at the deadline and get something nice for him. But, boy, those deadline deals just, well, in general, those deals don't seem like they're bringing back as much as we think they should anymore. I mean, look at what Price brought back last year, and that was with a full season still of control. Yeah, You're just not getting those huge returns for these rental players anymore, it seemed like. And, you know, that's the thing is this is going to be – this is going to be a player who, if they aren't going to trade him this offseason, which I think makes the most sense, um, you know, they're only going to have a player who the other team is going to have for like a couple months. And Yeah, it's, it's you know, and, and like you said, it would make a lot of sense to try and trade him here. I don't know if that ownership group has the stomach for a full teardown. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if, because uh, it's what, Castellini, who used to be part of the Cardinal or yeah. ownership, he's uh, the, the top owner. I don't know if they have the stomach for that sort of full teardown and rebuild that I almost think that team needs at this point. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I think they'll still be a competitive team in 2015, but I think they're a, a club that is really severely trending the wrong way, and I wonder if what would be best for that that club wouldn't be sort of a preemptive just let's clear out a whole bunch of this stuff we know we're not going to be able to keep and see if they can't get ahead of that curve of uh you know that that real hard downturn well and they're a team you know they they can't have Joey Votto you know take Joey Votto had less than 300 plate appearances last year and you know he's he he's going to be in his age thirty one season, and you just kind of look at that. And How did he get so damn old? I I was wondering the same thing. Like, but he's been around. I mean, he's been around forever. Uh, you know his his true rookie season. He made his big league debut in oh seven. Yeah. Uh, and his true rookie season was oh eight. Um, but you know last year he was just. Uh, you know, he had the injuries and, you know, you just look at that contract and it's just kind of like, man, you know, if he's not that player, I mean, he, <laughs> it's, it's, he is under contract until the year 2023. I mean, that's just insane to me. And, and you look at it, it has not gotten off to the best of starts. You know, if so, it's kind of it's one of those things. The Cincinnati Reds like literally cannot afford to have Joey Votto not 
take 700 plate appearances in a season. And he has ta- he took less than 500 in 2012 and less than 300 last year. And I look at that and you just wonder how those injuries will impact his swing. And I, you know, he's a pretty candid guy in interviews and he would, last year I remember him openly talking about how his production was negatively impacted by his uh, injury issues. And you just kind of wonder how is that going to age and what type of player have the Reds locked in for the next decade, you know, basically. Um, And it's got to worry uh, you if you're in that front office and if you're a fan of the Reds. Uh, It doesn't worry me so much as a Cardinals fan. I mean, we've seen, you know, the Angels with Albert Pujols, what it's like to have that much payroll uh, tied up in a declining uh, first baseman, and it isn't pretty. So, you know, that to me, Votto has to play and play well for them to be competitive. Um, And and that's even just for like a wild card spot. And I just, I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's going to be the case. And, and, you know, you mentioned Jay Bruce. I mean, he, he really kind of just his production fell off a cliff last season. So it'll be interesting to see. I believe this is the last year that he is under uh, contract uh, with the Reds. Um, or no, he's under contract through 2016. So, uh, this isn't going to be a walk year type of performance, but you know he's got to be kind of having an eye to free agency too. So he certainly has an incentive uh, to to try and put things together this season. But man, if you if Votto and Bruce are not you know that hard that core heart of the lineup type of batter anymore, the Reds are in some trouble, man. Wow. Uh, Jay Bruce, do you know Jay Bruce was worth negative 1.1 war last year? I did not know that. Um, that is horrifying. And he's That's like driving past a wreck on the highway. Jesus, that is. Well, you know, he's always struck out. And it's true, yeah, the strikeout rate. He struck out in 27.3%, which you know has pretty steadily increased throughout his time in the majors. Um, well, his first season he struck out in 24 percent in 08 but then it dropped to 19 then 23 then 23.8 then 24.5 26.5 27.3 so it seems to be a a fairly steady kind of linear climb uh, of striking out more and more um the defense actually i i thought he was a good defender looking at the numbers it looks like he may not be that kind of surprises me yeah the metrics uh, don't really like him uh, yeah the he other looks good out there maybe it's yeah. just because that ballpark is so small that it seems like he gets to more than he should or would you know what i mean yeah that that very well is. could be the case he's doing a lot more running in than running back um, but the other worrying thing about him is that walk rate I mean, it's it's gone steadily down from his career half after kind of climbing up to 10.7%. He had two years where he walked in over 10% of his plate appearances, uh, which you would expect from a player who hits for power like he does. You know, pitchers mm-hmm. are going to be careful with him. But, you know, that walk rate has just, as his strikeout rate has gradually and steadily climbed his walk rate has gradually and steadily fallen from 
10.7 to 9.8 to 9.0 to 8.1 last year. And there's just, I mean, there are a lot of kind of warning lights uh, going on when you look at uh, Jay Bruce's batting peripherals. Uh, but he did, and his power fell off a lot last year. He's a guy that you could typically trust and expect to hit for quite a bit of power. Uh, and last year, his isolated power fell off uh, quite a bit as well. And, you know, it's tough to kind of untangle that from the league-wide decrease in power. And, you know, I don't know if Major League Baseball changed the baseballs themselves or what happened, but, you know, we've seen power just fall off so steadily across the league. You know, it's kind of tough to untangle an individual player, but Bruce is someone who has been a, a consistent slugger even in the face of that decrease until last year. And so that that's worrisome for them. Um, I guess the one positive is his batting average on balls in play was 269, but that's that's not going to, you know, like that's that's not the only thing that's going on there is his luck on balls in play. And so that's, uh, you know, those are some worrying signs uh, for Jay Bruce and the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, that is, that's really bad. Uh, and to your point about the, the walk rate, yeah, you look, 2010 and 2011, he was really, really good those two seasons. He's worth almost five wins in 2010, three wins in 2011. Uh, and you're talking, you know, a full season's worth of plate appearances both ways. He was basically, basically struck out just over twice as often as he walked. Last year, he's, what, about three and a half times as many strikeouts as walks? Yeah. So that's, that has markedly uh, really, really gotten a whole lot worse. Um, the batting average on balls in play is a little low, but you know what? For his career, it's only 293, so he's never been a high BABIP guy in general. And so, and he hits for power, so he hits a lot of fly balls, and that's not particularly surprising. Yeah, that's true. Surprising. And that ballpark probably has something to do with that, that a lot of the balls you put in the air there are going over the wall rather than turning into long doubles and things. So there could just be some, some bias there in terms of the ballpark. But, uh, yeah, I mean, boy, his it's – I knew he had a bad season. I had never really looked that close at the numbers to see why he had a bad season. Man, I'm looking at his batted ball profile, Aaron. Mm -hmm. He has a for his career, he has a 38.7 ground ball percentage, and in mm -hmm. the last four years before last year, his highest ground ball percentage was 36.7 percent. Last and then all of a sudden, it jumped. Yes. Oh, wow. It it went Almost way up. Wow. Yeah. Forty-five. He went full Alan Craig. You never yeah. go full Craig. <laughs> well, it, the full Alan Craig wasn't just happening in St. Louis. It was apparently, uh, but I, you know, I that that really surprises me. I mean, that is a lot of ground balls. Do you um, think their their hitting coach was mysteriously replaced mid-season by a guy named Bon Mayberry with like a <laughs> fake mustache or something, telling Jay Bruce that? You know what you should really do? You should really try to pull a bunch of ground balls weekly to second base. Yep, it was actually a goatee, I think. You know, oh, I get the I see, full... yeah. He's like the alternate evil version. Yes. Awesome. No, 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 that doesn't make any sense. No, it the doesn't. evil version would try to convert everybody into uh, Jose Bautista. Yes, you're right. So that, so that's, that's anti, he... uh, the anti-Mabry. 
the Bizarro uh, Mabry is in like Toronto or something. Just telling yeah, everyone, go. he's go. whoever the dude is in Toronto that's like, hey, you should like a big leg kick and swing for the fences. That's awesome. Pull that's, everything, man. Yeah, there you pull power like crazy. That's that's the anti Mabry. Mabry. Uh, I wish there wasn't a John Mayberry and a John Mabry in yes. baseball. It's so confusing for me because I'm super dumb. <laughs> well, it does. It, it's so much easier when we just have to write their names uh, rather than trying to worry about pronouncing them. That's true because I've never once typed the name John Mayberry for any reason. So that's cool. Yeah, you you managed to avoid that. I uh, I touched on him uh, when we were talking about uh, the Cardinals uh, bench, and I, I wanted to touch base on that uh, a little bit also um, because with the signing of Mark Reynolds. Um, it seems to me that you're going to have uh, the bench is going to be Tony Cruz, Mark Reynolds, uh, yeah. P- Peter Borges. Awesome. Uh-huh. And uh, for the bench, but okay, yeah. I'm just going to make noises as you say <laughs> names instead of having a conversation. That's you're, that's what I think I'll do. You're going to grunt. Yeah, um, uh, okay, and then. It seems to me as if with the way that uh, Mike Matheny and John Mozeliak uh. <laughs> have uh, spoken um, this offseason that Randall Grichik uh. will be on the bench. And that seems to me to make it uh, Dean Anna's uh. Uh. Uh, bench spot to lose in terms of the final bench spot. I mean, does that is that how you're seeing the the, the bench shake up as we sit here today? I think so. I, I think the team is mostly done with Pete Cosma and at this point it seems like Anna is probably the only uh, the only guy capable of playing shortstop at any reasonable level that they're willing to try. Um, you know, Garcia Look, the the walk-off hit-by-pitch was awesome. That was a real highlight of the season for me for whatever fucking weird reason. But it was a great moment. Clearly, the team doesn't believe he's the answer out there. Um, Ty Kelly, really excited about having a guy with that uh, offensive profile on the team. But I don't think he's a shortstop. Um, So, you know, at this point, they let Descalso go. Uh, He went and got his big contract big air quotes around big contract, but hey, somebody's paying him. He went out to Colorado. They're like, hey, you know, yeah, we'll uh, we'll pay you. You fly missions in Korea. You can come to Colorado and play for us. That's pretty sweet. Um, at this point, I think Anna's probably your only option out there at shortstop. Again, unless, you're, unless they are still willing to go with Cosma, and I think finally the team has had enough of the Cosma experience. Yeah, I I think you're right. Um, and it was also reported that Anna signed a major league contract, um, which to me would really. Give... Oh, you see, I didn't realize that. I thought it was the standard uh, minor league deal with invite thing. I I didn't realize it was a major league deal. I don't know how I missed that. It I, it was on Twitter. Um, I can't even remember who tweeted it at this point in time, um, mm-hmm. but. It raised an eyebrow to me because I assumed that it would be like just a non-roster, you know, minor league deal with a with an invitation to spring training. I assume the Cardinals probably guaranteed him uh, a spot or gave him a major league contract 
you know, perhaps as as the way to lock him up and set them apart from perhaps other bidders. Um, but probably because unless something bad happened to Jeanet, uh, they're probably not offering a ton of playing time. So maybe the guaranteed contract is a way to say, yeah, you may not get a lot of playing time, but you are going to get paid all year. Right. Um, and it, it's their way of saying, yeah, you are on our bench. You know, we aren't bringing you in to compete for a bench spot. You're on the bench. You know, you're going to be a, a St. Louis Cardinal. You aren't going to be a Memphis Redbird. Um, and so I, I think Anna's probably on there. With Grichik, you know, we've uh, we've talked about this a couple times during the offseason. You know, I wouldn't be sad to see him start the year in Memphis. And it probably wouldn't be the worst outcome. You know, I mean, I think he could use more development time rather than just time sitting on the bench waiting for a lefty to, to come on the mound. Right. And that's and that's kind of my I, I don't think he's a finished product yet. And I don't know if he becomes, you know, if he gets the amount of work that I think he still could perhaps use, uh, you know, recognizing breaking balls in particular. Um, if he's just sitting on the bench and playing like once a week. And I just don't know. Maybe the Cardinals see him as a fourth outfielder and that this is what, this is his job. And they're just saying, all right, you're going, this is your job. This is what you're going to do. Um, but it seems to me as if with that power, you know, allowing him to get some more playing time and perhaps because he is still a young player and I'm not meaning this as any sort of like insult to him as a player at all. He's still a pretty young player. And I, I just think it might, you know, playing every day uh, in Memphis, you know, might still provide some benefits to him in terms of developing as a player. And, and so it wouldn't make me sad if that happened. Um, but it seems as if uh, from the rumblings that they're, the Cardinals uh, have made in their uh, statements uh, since the season has ended, it seems like uh, Grichik is, is going to be on the Major League bench. So uh, that would seem to put Ty Kelly in AAA. And maybe Ty Kelly is, you know, the, you know, the, the sixth bench man, so to speak, where he will... Um, be the first one promoted uh, if a spot opens up on the bench that doesn't require someone who uh, knows how to catch. Yeah, that that probably sounds about right as far as uh, as what he does. Um, I don't know. Maybe they give him a catcher's mitt in AAA and tell him to see if he can learn the position. Tony Cruz wasn't a catcher, you know. Right. Uh, he also did it when he wasn't twenty six and yes, product, so. But to be fair. They could buy him a catcher's mitt, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think he's probably he's probably riding the Memphis shuttle the whole year. Yep. Um, I I don't know. What do you think of the Reynolds signing? Obviously, uh, by my grunt, you can you can infer that I wasn't super excited about it. But I'm curious what you thought of it. You I, may have covered this in a previous podcast. I didn't get a chance to listen to the last one or two of them. I think. Uh, Craig, Craig and I talked about it a little bit. Um, and in, uh, one of my posts, I think I called it a meh signing. Like I, you know, like I don't, I, I did not run to my closet and get my pitchfork and my torch and a lighter and drive to St. Louis ready 
you know, to keep yours in the closet. See, I keep mine in like in the basement because I don't like having it in the house. See, I I don't have a basement and I don't have a storage oh, space at my apartment, so I just have to put everything in closets. My pitchfork, my torch, you know, all of it. Uh, the lighter fluid. It's kind of a dangerous situation. That sounds really yeah. Is I mean, is your renter's insurance cover that? That's um, it's kind of ambiguous, yeah. and I didn't want to ask. Oh yeah, that, uh, so. that's a good idea. Whenever you're signing up for you look, I'm I'm going to be keeping you know mob gear here. So, um, is there any chance that I could get this covered? Yeah, they're they're probably going to drop you. Um, you may not want to let your insurance agent hear this podcast either. Actually, I I will do my best. Uh, I don't think he's a baseball fan, so I think we'll be we'll be okay. It's a good um, thing. But yeah, it's just kind of the Cardinals wanted power. They didn't have a lot of power hitting last year. I think they prioritize power. That is Mark Reynolds' skill. I've always been someone who feels it's a good idea to have players on a bench who do one or two things really well because you're not going to get a a well-rounded everyday player on the bench very often. And so, you know, that versatility, uh, that can be versatility. It can be being a really good fielder. It can be being a really good base runner. Um, It can also be you know, a a hit tool. And in this case, it's the power tool. And so, you know, like I'm okay with that. Um, Do I wish, you know, I think I also wrote that I kind of wanted him to go after weeks uh, from uh, formerly of Milwaukee, just because he, again, brought a little more versatility. I thought he, he could hit right hander. He can hit right handers better than Mark Reynolds. Mm -hmm. And I thought he could play first base, um, I does he bring versatility or does he just bring a stubborn refusal to stand anywhere but second base? And that's just it. Is it a stubborn what I understand, refusal? Stand in Milwaukee, they said to him, "Hey, would you like to, you know, play one of these other spots around here we've got?" And he said, "No, I would not. I will stay right here." I and I that's the open question, right? Like, and that's what we always talk about is you know what the, how the situation fits and what the conversations with the player and his agent were like. And it could be, you know, no, you, I don't want to play those positions and you can't offer me enough playing time. And that very well could be what happened. And Has so, he yet? no, Actually, he hasn't. He hasn't. Interesting. Hmm. But, well, yeah, if all things being equal, if he was willing to go elsewhere, I mean, not go, you know what I mean? If he was willing to play more than just second base or whatever, I actually kind of would have preferred him to Reynolds also, I think. Um, just because I think the athleticism he brings offers a little more than, uh, you know, the the possibility Reynolds has of might run into a pitch now and again. Well, yeah, and that's the other thing is, well, now we've got two players, one's an outfielder, one's an infielder, who might run into one. Mm-hmm. And they're also going to strike out a lot. And so I felt like, Ren- or I feel like Reynolds' offensive profile is kind of duplicative of Randall Gritchick's. Uh, in terms of a hitter. And so, but by that same token, we have so many like line drive hitters who don't hit for a ton of power that Rick, you know, weeks would just, uh, you know, he would just be, you know, another one of those types of guys where he's probably more doubles than homers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but my position on him was also premised on him being willing to play for space. And I just, I don't know if that's the case either. And so I just kind of look at it and it's just kind of like, okay, it's $2 million. Like that's fine. He hits for power. If it doesn't work out, 
it's pretty easy to eat that contract and allow him to seek employment elsewhere like they did. You know, they did it with Ty Wigginton, and he was owed twice as much money. And so it's just actually more than twice as much money. Well, maybe with the incentives, about twice as much money. But, um, you know, like it's just kind of whatever. <laughs> I know that I should have a hot take here, and I should be really passionate about yeah, the signing. Yeah, but it's, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I was yeah. expecting, uh, I don't know, I was expecting something loud and, and you know, really forceful. And uh, instead, you're measured and indifferent. That's, I don't know, man. You fail me on the Magnurus joke, and, and now you can't work up any real rage over Mark Reynolds? I just don't know. <laughs> I'm in the wrong business. You might be. You really might be. But it's, you know, it, the other thing, though, is you look at it, Aaron, and it's just, you know, and coming back to that playing time, I mean, Johnny Peralta plays a lot. Matt Carpenter plays a lot. I anticipate Colton Wong is going to play a lot. You know, Matt Holiday plays a lot. Uh, Jason Hayward plays a lot. You know, it's just like how often – look at Daniel Descalso. You know, it's an open question of whether or not Daniel Descalso getting 184 plate appearances, you know, is that because of Mark Ellis, uh, Daniel Descalso's qualities as a player, or, uh, you know, the players who they slot in every day. And, you know, it's a little bit of all those things. But it's just the reality is the Cardinals' everyday players play so often, the only time that – you know, the bench is really all that important is with a pinch hitter. And so having a pinch hitter, uh, you know, someone who's, who's number one, I guess, use or probably most frequent use will be as a pinch hitter. And if Reynolds is willing to be that guy, if he's willing to be like their Matt stairs, their right-handed Matt stairs, that's cool with me too. Like that's fine. He hits home runs, and when he hits them, they're going to be fun to watch. He's also mm-hmm. going to swing and miss a lot, and that's going to be frustrating. But he's also going to gain sixty pounds and grow a really hideous mustache. So that's that's something to look forward to. It, I and I hope he gives as candid uh, interviews as Matt Stairs. You know what? You're right. Matt Stairs did give the best interviews. I mean, so <laughs> they were awesome. <laughs> He didn't just swing like a beer league softball player. He interviewed like a beer league yeah. softball player. And he basically, uh, what was the one where he was just like, you know, I just try to hit the ball. I swing as hard as I can. I just try to hit the ball as hard as I can every single time. I think that was every interview. You can't say which one was that. That was all of them. It was it, it was always great when he did something good in the post. It's like saying to me, which which weekend was that when you got really drunk and embarrassed yourself? I don't know. That was all of them. <laughs> don't don't single me out on this. Same thing with Matt Stairs. You know, every so, time he went up there hungover, bleary eyed, and just swung for the fences. Yeah. So if that is Mark Reynolds' job, I'm okay with it. Um, it's hard for me to get too worked up about it you know dean anna can handle you know all the positions on the infield too so it it's just kind of you know like okay i i mean i think they've done a pretty good job building the bench and you know it's easy especially in the postseason it's easy to be like oh my goodness our bench is horrible and then you look around and it's like oh 2011 when alan craig was this super utility power hitter like those players don't Scott Spezio from 06, you know, those players don't really exist too terribly much around the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, uh, 
you know, it's just kind of like you just kind of want players who are complementary and who you can see that they have a job and they can be deployed in a certain way. And if you've got that, fair enough. And, you know, the Cardinals have a legitimate DH when they play in the American League this year. So, yes, um, you know, like, they're, you know, there are just he has warts, but almost all bench players do. And so um, I'm, I'm okay with the signing. It's it's it is it is what it is, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my my what hot take. Manager speak. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the that's how lukewarm my take is on the mm-hmm. on the Reynolds signing. I mean, are you like really, uh, or are you just underwhelmed by it, uh, or or do you have a strong stance on it? I actually forgot it happened the other day. Um, <laughs> so you're even yeah, more indifferent than me. Pretty much, yeah. I'm I'm indifferent to the point of not not knowing it happened. Um, I was uh, what the hell was I doing? I don't remember. I was looking at the the roster for some reason. I saw Mark Reynolds. I was like, wait, is that the same? Oh yeah, I forgot they signed that guy. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty uh pretty. Yeah, I don't know. I I find the signing to be supremely uninspiring. Um, there were players I would have preferred. I would have preferred Kyle Blanks personally. Um, we don't know what his health situation is. I mean, obviously he still hasn't signed anywhere yet. So you may think, no, he signed, uh, didn't, didn't he? Just oh, did he? Sign, oh, did he? Um, okay. I think I missed that. Apparently I think he signed like a split, uh, a split contract, um, with the Rangers, like he's going to be a baseball player and a decathlete, or what? Uh, major, major league, uh, major league, minor league contract. So it, what it is is it's, it provides an alternative. It's a minor league deal, but mm-hmm. if he makes the roster, he makes a million dollars. And it, okay. then there are incentives. So it's you know if he makes the roster, mm-hmm. this is his deal. Um, Interesting. And you know there is a part of me that's. Uh, you know, there is a part of me that's like, yeah, I would like Kyle Blanks, but you know, like he's a career two forty four, three forty two, four oh nine hitter who has hit lefties very well. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just kind of like how different. Really, to be honest, I think that's the point. That's my thing. Looking at Reynolds, um, I, I like some of the things he brings. He doesn't like hit left-handers particularly well. That was kind of the one thing I was really hoping for. I thought if there's one thing this roster is going to be severely lacking in, it's going to be the ability to hit left-handed pitching. There are a shit ton of left-handed hitters on this team. Matt Adams does not hit lefties well. We know Hayward has struggled. Um, you know, John Jay miraculously hit 505 against lefties last year or whatever, something ridiculous. I kind of don't think it's going to happen again. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, Carpenter hits lefties really well. Wong does pretty well, but there's a lot of left-handed hitters on this team. So I, I was kind of hoping for that guy with a crazy split where you'd look at him and go, well, he's not very impressive. Oh, wait, against left-handed as right-handed, you know, that section on fan. Oh, he, he uh, you know, hit 342, 505, 796 last year or whatever. I was kind of hoping for that. Uh, well, Reynolds isn't that guy. He doesn't really hit lefties all that well. So I, I was I was a little disappointed by that, I think. And and the other Aaron, Aaron Finkel's post on blanks really 
I was really I like that. I like, yeah, call him the other Aaron. <laughs> he's gonna love that when he's when he's editing this. Yeah, um, yeah, he can edit it all he wants. He's gonna he's gonna do voiceover curse words, like probably, or make us say insane things. This is definitely not a voiceover by anybody who would be called the other Aaron. This is just Aaron Schaefer, the Red Baron, speaking, and I'm a big dummy. Dumb, dumb, dummy. Also, Ben's pun is terrible. He really should have gone with Mag- Magnaris Ver Magnaris and, uh, as a nod to the old Icelandic strongest man in the world. That was the correct answer, but he failed. Um, but anyway, um, he his post on blanks really uh, warmed me up to him as a potential signing. But with mm-hmm. but as you noted, with that health, you just don't know what that's like. And here's something that I have kind of come to grips with. You know, at the I don't know if you remember, but um, at the postseason press conference that uh, Mike Matheny and John Mozeliak held, they basically said, you know, they all but stated they were going to trade Randy Choate because he's difficult to use. And so if you have a manager yeah, who has... Well, you go ahead. I'll, well, I'll complain about that momentarily. Okay. And, and I want to... You're going I have to get a lot an opportunity. Of stored up, so yeah, you you finish okay. it. Okay, this is ahead. this is building up to a question, and here's okay. the question: If you have a manager who mm-hmm. finds Randy Choate difficult to use to the point that the general manager says that we're going to explore trading him, do you think that that manager is interested in a batter who has a severe platoon split and should probably only ever be used? against left-handed pitchers he's like you know the the bench version of randy choate in a way blanks would be and so you know if you have a manager who finds choate difficult to use would you want to sign a player like blanks who has to be used in you know kind of the position player way that you would use you know you would leverage such a platoon split like and i just I think the Cardinals got a player without much of a platoon split because of that, that Mike Matheny doesn't want to be bothered with considering platoon splits. <laughs> that's that's probably a pretty good point, actually. I hadn't considered it from that side of things specifically because I expect intelligence from the people running a baseball team. Can I just tell you how angry I was when I heard that statement that Randy Choate was difficult to use. Um, <laughs> well, why did you feel that way, Aaron? Well, it, it... Okay. Mike Matheny basically went up in front of everybody and, and said in his customary Mike Matheny way, you know, I was I was at home the other day and uh, our, our new place that we bought after, you know, we finally got a house back from all the poor decisions we made in the past. Now that's a low blow, but continue. <laughs> you know what? The guy bugs me. He just makes me so angry. But look, so I was I was at home the other day, and, and my wife was bugging me that I needed to, to hang this picture up on the wall. So it's like, all right, all right, I'll take care of it. So I went over to the uh, went over to the shelf, and I I got this book, and I came back, and I, I started trying to hammer this nail into the wall. And uh, it just it just didn't work. This book's really hard to use. And then and then a reporter stood up and he, he was wearing a fedora and it had a little press pass you know a little press card in the band and he said uh, yes Mike Matheny uh, um, uh, 
Davy Scoops from the Afton Commercial Appeal. Did you consider using a hammer by any chance? <laughs> and Matheny looked at him and he said, Yeah, that book really didn't work very well. So I threw it out because it just wasn't doing the job. That's not an answer, sir. And that's essentially the man managing this team. <laughs> On that note. Um, I think uh, we should probably wrap things up. We've been going over an hour. Um, and uh, we I don't know if we're going to do a, a podcast next weekend uh, with the holiday season and everyone traveling. We'll see if it works with folks' schedules. Uh, Are we doing that Christmas carol thing that I recommended? Are we going to sing or anything? Oh, do you want to sing? Not really. Okay, then we don't have to. Um, I mean, I, I can sing. Can you sing? Oh, I'm horrible. I can't carry. Really? I cannot even. Uh, one of the worst things about school for me when I was in elementary school was music mm. class when you had to sing the notes. Because yeah. I was so bad at it. And you, you know, like everyone had to, we had risers for music class. Mm-hmm. And, every, and everyone sat on the risers. And when, it, when you had to sing the notes, you had to stand up uh, in front of everyone and do it. And I was so horrible. I'm I'm really? awful at singing. Um, hmm. I think that might be why I like music because I appreciate people who can make it because I can't. Like I'm just not talented. I don't have the ear for it. I don't have the brain for it. Um, so I don't think uh, I would be the one to sing Christmas carols, or, and no one would want to hear them if I did uh, sing them. Um, but uh, yeah. So on that note, note <laughs> nice. Let's see. Um, on that sour note, <laughs> segway. That's that, what we call a segue in the business. On, on that off-pitch note, um, uh, I don't know if we're going to do a podcast episode next weekend, uh, but I think we will certainly do one uh, the weekend after uh, New Year's. So uh, check the feed for that. Uh, if you have any questions or any subjects that you would like us to discuss. Uh, on the podcast, you can email me. Uh, my email is veb, as in vivalbertos, dot bgh at gmail.com. That's veb dot bgh at gmail.com. If you have a question you'd like us to, to discuss, uh, email at me and, and uh, we'll uh, talk about it on the show. Uh, I want to email me too, everybody. I, yeah. I will not respond. <laughs> I want to thank Aaron for joining me. I really. Uh, uh, I really enjoy uh, the talks that we get to have every week on this podcast, and I hope you enjoyed listening to them. Uh, have a Merry Christmas and safe travels if, uh, if you're traveling. Take care. Merry Christmas, movie house! <laughs>